Welcome to this podcast from The Well, a United Methodist Church in Rosemount, Minnesota. Thank you for taking the time to listen. For more information, please check us out at thewellmn.church. Grace and peace be with you. Good morning. My name is Chris Anderson, and I want to welcome those of you here to the contemporary service, and also welcome to those who are live streaming. If you're a guest, or if this is your first time here, please stop at the welcome desk. We've got a gift for you and some information on the well. I have some uh, some announcements to share with you this morning. I know that all of you are watching the news like I've been watching the news. So please join us in prayer for the people of Turkey and Syria who have just um, experienced two devastating earthquakes. The earthquakes leveled buildings, and um, back when I first talked to Bree about doing announcements, there were 19,000 that had been killed, and in the news last night, there are up to 28,000, and probably that, those numbers will continue to climb. News reports are already assessing the impact as the worst to hit the area in a century. UMCOR, United Methodist Committee on Relief, has issued an appeal for emergency supplies and monetary donations. So you can go to the UMCOR website um, to donate. The Wells Ash Wednesday service will be held on Wednesday, February 22nd at 7 p.m. Volunteers are needed uh, for this special service, so just connect with Bree, either in person or via email, to let her know that you can help. Uh, We all have the opportunity to participate in a five-week Lenten small group. The Lenten groups will study Henry Nouwen's book, Freedom, Finding Peace in Anxious Times. This is a great study for current small groups, or if you want to meet some new people, sign up um, out at the welcome desk, and um, they also have some times when the groups would be offered. The Wells annual chili cook-off and silent auction is back, and it's on March 5th. Sign up to make chili. I know they need probably about 50 crack, or not 50, 40 crack pots worth to feed all the people who will come. Um, and you can also donate silent auction items, or you can do both the pot of chili and the auction item. Uh, funds raised will be used to feed guests each month at Simpson's Shelter in Minneapolis. Sign up for the chili cook-off, and they have a big table out in the foyer there. I, uh, it's, it's such an honor to be here at the well again today. I... Um... I get to do this now and again, and uh, especially on today, uh, this, this day of heaviness for this congregation. Uh, some of you know, uh, many of you know, that uh, Pastor Sherry's not with us today. Well, and, and uh, you know, we really should get this out of the way. It's Sunday. Yeah, I want to be able to kind of check that off and say we, we did it. Um, but uh, this, this has been a heavy time in, uh, in Pastor Sherry and Don's life as they have mourned the loss of their beloved son, Eric. His funeral will be this afternoon at 1.30 at the Mill City Church in Northeast Minneapolis. And so I know you've been praying for the Mortensons and will continue to do so 
as they make their way. Um, so I'm grateful to be here. Pastor Sherry and I were talking in anticipation of this loss uh, a couple months ago, and she said, Will, I'm, I'm going to need a little more from you in the days ahead. And I said, by all means. So I'm honored to come alongside of her and, and this amazing church. Um, today, among other things, is a, a national holiday, according to the New York Times, uh, Super Bowl Sunday. I, uh, you know, I, I beg to differ uh, personally. I think Juneteenth is a, maybe a better a national holiday than, than this, but um, I, I made the mistake of uh, wagering all the money I have on the game today, so uh, <laughs> this may be the last time you ever see me. Uh, yeah. uh, well, I, I placed equal bets on both sides, so <laughs> I'm a winner. I'm a winner. Uh, we are coming today to the end of, nearing the end of the book of Esther, the seventh and eighth chapters. We're not going to read all these together today, but um, I was a little skeptical about this Esther thing with Pastor Sherry, but she was insistent, and uh, it's, it's just, uh, this story is a mess, and uh, there's, there's violence here, there's treachery, there's, um, there's injustice at almost every turn, but there is also courage and faithfulness that shows up, and so that's what we're celebrating. And, um, and so I invite you to turn with me or read on the screen as we make our way uh, to a few verses from the eighth chapter today, uh, beginning in the third verse. This from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet, weeping and pleading with him to avert <clears throat> the evil design of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. The king held out the golden scepter to Esther, and Esther rose and stood before the king. She said, If it pleases the king, and if I have won his favor, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I have his approval, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, son of, uh, you know, whatever, and <laughs> the Agagite, which he wrote giving orders to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming on my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to the Jew Mordecai, See, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have <clears throat> hanged him on the gallows because he plotted to lay hands on the Jews. So you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. And then a few verses from uh, the first epistle of Peter today. <clears throat> Peter was writing to people who were in the midst of brutal persecution for their faith. 
And he writes these words in the fourth chapter, beginning in the verse number 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. And would you pray with me? And now, Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. I don't know when your uh, moment of truth came. The day you first lost your innocence. The day you realized that life is not the way you imagined it should be. That happens to all of us eventually. That day comes for all of us. So here's one. A story that a mother told about her little boy. Kid's name is Jeffy. Just two years old when his moment of truth came. Jeffy adored his grandpa more than anyone else in the whole wide world. And as a grandpa myself, I mean, well, obviously. Obviously. And Jeffy loved to go for car rides with his pawpaw, as he called him. And this was back in the day before seatbelt laws, before uh, car seats. It was life lived in the country, so there wasn't much traffic, meaning Jeffy could stand up on the front seat, unbuckled, and wrap his arms around his grandpa's neck as they rode. Until one day, all of a sudden, out of the blue, a dog runs in front of the car, and Grandpa grabs the little boy, uh, but before he can, you know, brace his fall, he slams on the brakes, and he couldn't break the lurch forward, and so little Jeffy's forehead hits the dashboard. It wasn't traumatically, but it was enough to really, really hurt, enough to send him on this five-minute crying jag, you know, the crocodile tears. Until finally he caught his breath, finally he was able to speak, and he looked up at his grandpa and he said, Papa, what did I do wrong? Now that's a story that makes me want to you know, sit down and cry. Because seeing a child lose their innocence is so painful, right? Painful because we know it's something we're all going to suffer one day, still not at two years old. I'm not sure when yours was, your loss of innocence moment. But we get through two years or 10 or 20, believing in a universe that rewards the good and punishes evil, one where there are certain things we think we can count on until one day life slams on the brakes. And we learn that hard, inescapable truth that you can do everything right and still get hurt that goodness is no protection from pain. And if life teaches that, well, our faith confirms it, right? I mean, Jesus was as good as it gets, but still he suffered pain, all kinds of pain. And not just physical, but spiritual, relational, emotional, that pain too. But by choosing to face into the pain rather than away from it, Jesus 
Jesus showed us <clears throat> this astonishing, overcoming way to live. He did. Though the sad fact of the matter is that <clears throat> most of us don't follow him in that way of living because in spite of everything Jesus said and did, most of us still cling to our own version of, of the truth, Name, <clears throat> namely that if we are very, very good, God, therefore, will not let anything bad happen to us. We'll be protected. Spared. Uh, Bree, thanks for this. I, I was getting to be in trouble there. We don't want to quit early, uh, do we? Do we? <laughs> you can be honest with me. So we cling to this version of the truth, thinking we're for good, we'll be protected. It's a great perversion of the gospel, but it's also very human, that belief, that we can somehow be good enough for God. The story of Esther is one most of us have understood very little about, at least until this sermon series, that is, which has been going on for, you know, I don't know, 100 weeks or so. I, uh, we're getting there. It's a story about suffering, specifically the suffering of people of faith, people we would say uh, do not deserve what's happening to them. That's because we're confused about the relationship between suffering and belief. See, somehow we got the notion that God's people are to be immune from suffering, that if we just have a little faith that we're never supposed to get sick, never supposed to be predisposed to an addiction like we were singing a bit ago, never have a relationship fall apart, never uh, struggle financially or have kids that make bad choices, never ever lose a job, but here's my question. Where in the Bible are you and I promised success in this world because of our faith? Well, actually, nowhere. Nowhere at all. And yet the idea persists that people of faith are somehow supposed to be both successful and never suffering. And that right there is a lie. So Esther's story comes along to set us straight to tell us that suffering is normative for the faithful, not exceptional. Or as the Apostle Paul, Peter put it hundreds of years later, don't be surprised when suffering comes, as if something strange were happening to you. All these biblical accounts written to make this matter clear to us, and yet we're still confused. Some of us conclude when suffering comes, and we immediately jump to this one. See if this sounds familiar conclude that God has abandoned us, has left our side. You know that one? You want God to come to you like right now, like a genie who pops out of the magic lamp when you rub it, want to be relieved of the burden of waking up and not knowing what to do next, want to put a hand under your pillow and find the answer right there, like a quarter from the tooth fairy. At least it used to be a quarter. Uh, things have gone up. I... I saw a kid here at the well a couple weeks ago missing his two front teeth. I said, what did the tooth fairy bring you? And he said, without hesitation, 2,000. I've been out of the game for a while. I said, that's worse than the price of eggs right there. But there you and I go. 
in a hard spot looking for the answer, and every morning all we get is the cool side of the pillow. Others of us, when suffering comes, we want a God who will rescue the innocent and punish the guilty. And truth be told, our prayers usually end up focusing on the guilty, don't they? Maybe we keep a running list of people who've hurt us, people who therefore don't deserve to go around acting normal. We want a God who will see to it that they are exposed for who they are, shunned by decent people, people like us. We've even gathered a sympathetic jury to hear the evidence, but so far we're just waiting in an empty courtroom. The judge hasn't shown up, and we're wondering if there is any justice in this world at all. So maybe feeling abandoned, maybe wanting judgment, or maybe you're somebody who wants a God who will make you be good. Sometimes that's where our suffering takes us. We want somebody to take over, make it so we can't mismanage ourselves anymore. A God who will heal me in spite of myself, who will let me no longer make the same mistakes. In fact, we want a God who will do the same thing for the entire world. One look at the news today is enough to convince us that putting human beings in charge maybe looked like a good idea, but it doesn't work. The people in charge of our security are abusing that privilege. And we will gladly surrender our freedom if God will just intervene, just wave a magic wand, make it all right. Well, the problem, of course, is that none of those is the God we get. No genie, no judge, often no interventionist. No, we get a God who waits for us to find our own answers. We get a God who gives suspended sentences to the guilty, unless his name is Haman, that is. We get a God who lets humankind stew in the consequences of our actions. And it's that disillusionment that suffering has that gives a rise in us to that notion that God does not conform to our expectations. Surprise. And every letdown becomes a lesson to us. Didn't God come when I rubbed the lantern? Did God fail to punish my enemies? Did God fail to make everything run smoothly? And every time God fails to meet our expectations, another one of our idols gets exposed, another curtain drawn back, so that I can see what I have propped up in God's place, until at last it becomes clear that the failure is not God's, it is mine. It is the failure of my own poor, stingy imagination, unable to comprehend a God not of my own making. See, Esther's story has an antidote to that misunderstanding, to our confusion about suffering. It's found in those verses that we read near the end of our text this morning. Esther let her full heart be poured out in this moment. With weeping and pleading, she intercedes on behalf of her people. The time had come for her to risk everything. Her privilege, her position, even her very life because of what she could not bear. And that's a choice that we can make too. When suffering comes our way, we can choose to be believing and resisting and obeying when suffering comes. 
Anne Lamott tells a story about a watershed moment in her life as a single parent. Uh, the day her seven-year-old son asked if he could meet his father, see Anne and her, Sam's uh, dad had gone their separate ways by the time Sam was born and she'd lost touch with him. So now here she was facing one of parenthood's agonizing questions. Do I open up the box of the past or not? She said, I was so afraid, so hopeless that Sam would never get to find his father or even worse that he would. But she knew, knew in her heart that her son needed to know his father. And so the search began and, and listen to how she tells it. Sam prayed for his dad every single night, but nothing happened. And I have determined to take this up with God someday. Would it have been so much skin off your nose to give my kid an answer? I mean, I couldn't believe it. Usually when you pray from the heart, you get an answer, right? The phone rings, the mail comes, the light gets in through the cracks so that you can at least see the next right thing to do. That's all you need, but <clears throat> nothing happened. At least, not at first. <clears throat> I secretly thought we'd bump into Sam's dad at the grocery store, the movies, but nope. In fact, the longer we searched, the worse it got. I even decided it would be better if we had never tried. Sam was doing fine before we started looking, but now he was frustrated, mad at his dad, even madder at me. Said if I were a better person, I would not have driven his father away. It was all messed up. Got us all frustrated, less hopeful. But then she remembered a line from the writer Wendell Berry who wrote on a dark, rainy December day, it gets darker and darker, and then Jesus is born. She said, that line came back to me from out of nowhere. And so I decided to practice radical hope, hope in the face of not having a clue. I decided God was not off doing the dishes while Sam was looking for help. God heard his prayers, was working on it. The upshot of the story is that Sam's father was found. And a reconciling began, not without pain, not without things going very wrong some of the time, because as she puts it, life is not TV. We are real people with scared and worried hearts. But healing began. I decided to practice radical hope, hope in the face of not having a clue. The Apostle Paul in the verses just before the ones that we read a moment ago put it this way. He's reminded to us of how we are to live in the midst of suffering. He says, above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable <clears throat> to one another without complaining. That's what it says. Without complaining like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. A wise mentor of mine once told me that whatever it is that scares you to death, the thing that makes you willing to do anything, anything at all, to make it go away, he said, that's our cross. And if you just leave it lying there, if you refuse to pick it up, it will kill you. If you turn away from it, turn away with the excuse that this should never happen to you, 
then you deny God the chance to show you the greatest mystery of all, that right there in the dark fist of your worst fear is the door to abundant life. And Jesus would dare us this morning to stop running from our cross, to reach down and and to pick it up, daring us to believe in God more than we believe in our fear. And here's the deal. Nobody's asking you to pick up your cross and bear it alone. The whole message of the gospel is that Jesus stands ready to shoulder our cross with us, with which happens to be uh, the job of the church, too. We get to shoulder the crosses around us, one with another. And so I just want to ask you, if you've heard the invitation Jesus is making to you today, to pick up your cross, whatever that thing is, as hard as it might be to do, to pick it up and let him start showing you the door to a life that is not bound anymore. Would you pray with me? God, on this uh, hard day with too much suffering around us, I thank you for your promise to us that comes through this story of Esther who found courage to stand up in the face of evil and hardship and uh, wrong, wrongness. And that that made a difference. And I pray that you'd give us the same courage and help us to know that, that when you put the world together, you had this idea that, that we would be formed into a community that that would shoulder heavy things together. I thank you for this church and for the shouldering that goes on here at the well. And I pray that uh, we might remember that you are our rock and that you are our rock in a land that is increasingly weary. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just a couple of things uh, I want to encourage you to consider. One is the, the Lenten small group thing that Chris mentioned at the top of the service. Um, this was my idea to do this uh, Henry Nouwen book in small groups, and I just want to encourage you to consider that. It ties in with the Lenten themes for our worship services. Uh, I can't believe Lent's right around the corner. Um, Ash Wednesday and, and Lent. So, uh, Please give that some consideration. Um, okay, so uh, a benediction. May Jesus be more and more at home in our hearts, living within us as we trust in him. May our roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. My my son-in-law is a an organic farmer, and he went to a conference yesterday and they spent the whole day talking about soil, dirt. Okay, fine, I said. (laughs) But I love this verse. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. 
And may you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is and to experience that love for ourselves. Though it is so great that we will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. Amen. 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 God bless.